entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies out Outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Some kind of love ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Well, this is the first program in our new fall season, and that extends through the end of the year. 2010 is going very, very rapidly. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. You are making this the most popular show on Voice America's business channel by quite a margin. Thanks to each of you. And, of course, we always want to thank our corporate sponsors for making this show financially viable. And for the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, Coral Gold, American Bonanza, Mill Rock Resources, and Palangio Exploration. As I have said many times in the past, I am very happy to have gold and silver mining companies as sponsors of this show because I really truly do believe that we are in the buying, the buying opportunity of a lifetime for gold mining shares and for this sector. You know, I'm old enough to have been around during the first bull market or the bull market of the 70s, I should say, the first one in my lifetime. And that was a pretty exciting time for, oh, 1978, 79. We saw the junior mining shares, companies that had virtually nothing to offer in terms of gold production or even the potential future gold production selling it at ridiculous multiples. They were as ridiculous as the dot-com companies. Many of those were at the peak. Well, this time around, we have a very prolonged gold bull market, and we are seeing substantially substantial progress with many companies building viable gold deposits, and we're seeing new companies starting to go into production some of our uh, sponsors being uh, the case in point, Barkerville Gold, Crocodile Gold, for example, uh, American Bonanza, Barkerville Crocodile already in production, uh, American Bonanza moving towards production, and there's a, lot more, there's a lot more of these kinds of companies. So we are seeing a major bull market in the, uh, in the gold sector like nothing we've seen since the 1930s. And if you go back in the 1930s, you'll find that many of the projects we're talking about now were started in the 1930s when the economics for gold mining was so spectacular that it drew huge amounts of capital into the sector. Well, I think that's happening again. I think this is a prolonged bull market. And uh, later on in the show, our main guest, Bob Hoy, will have something to say along those lines, I'm quite sure. Today, we are seeing the gold price rise very significantly to around $1,340. The last I checked, around noon today. Uh, as I said, my main guest this week is Bob Hoy. He is a market analyst who has uh, a rich sense of history, market history, and he's able to go back and see how history does repeat. Uh, it rhymes and it repeats in ways that are, that are very profound. It's very difficult for us to see that a lot of times because 
is human beings were really sort of most tuned in to what has happened to us most recently. If it's something we've experienced recently, that's what seems real. So to be able to step back and look at history and see how over long periods of time, history does repeat. And Ian Gordon is a, is an, uh, has also been a guest in this show who is very good at that. Robert Prechter was on this show. He has a sense of history and how history repeats. Bob Hoy has been able to do that, I think, as well as anybody and apply it to the markets now, to a trading strategy. Um, and, and so we're going to want to talk to Bob about, you know, what are his views on gold right now? Are we in a long-term gold bull market? What about the dollar? Is the dollar doomed as most gold bull market guys? Uh, most, most gold bull market guys are inflationist, I would say, the vast majority of them. And with that thinking comes the, the view that the dollar is doomed and it's going to go down to oblivion. Well, does Bob really think that? We're going to ask him. Uh, Bob may have a different idea, Bob Hoy, about, uh, about the dollar based on his understanding of history and what happens to the senior currencies and to superpowers during credit contractions. And we're going to ask Bob to compare this current credit contraction with those of the past. Co-hosting the show with me today will be Roger Wiegen, uh, my partner. He's the author of Trader Tracks. Uh, and you can acquire uh, a sample copy. Well, not a sample. Actually, we're offering a low-price uh, trial subscription to Trader Tracks. You can call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or you can go to our website at miningstocks.com. Not only to take advantage of Claudio Bossi's, uh, excuse me, of Roger Wiegand's low-priced um, trial offer, but also Chen Lin and myself, uh, also have low-priced introductory trial offers that you can take advantage of by going to that website. At approximately 4.30 this afternoon, we're going to be talking, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, in the second half hour, second hour, we're going to be talking to uh, Chris Krupe at about 4.30 Eastern time. He is the president of an exciting company uh, called Paramount Gold and Silver, and that company has properties in Mexico. It also has a very exciting property uh, that had been owned by a company called Excal, and previous to that, Amex, uh, a, a major gold mining company um, with a gold mine, one of the richest gold mines that I've ever heard of in called the Sleeper Mine in northwestern Nevada. In fact, as a lending officer many years ago, I was, uh, I was involved with that project, uh, part of the 250,000-ounce gold loan that was made to Amex Minerals against that uh, very, very rich gold deposit. So I'm going to be listening to what Chris Krupe has to say with a great deal of interest, uh, both from my from my past and also looking at the future uh, and the p potential for, um, for Chris Krupe's uh, company, um, Paramount Silver, uh, Gold and Silver, to move forward. So we're going to be talking to Bob Hoy, uh, as I said, at about, uh, at at about 3.30 today until 4.30. Uh, then we're going to have, um, and Roger Wiegand will be with me to co-host that, and then we're going to have, we're going to be talking to Chris Krupe. Uh, and then Roger will be with me for the wrap-up of the show. But before we get started with um, uh, with our next guest, I do have I do want to just say, well, actually, we're going to go to break right now. And when we come back, I've got Chen Lin with me. We're going to talk to Chen about some really exceptional ideas. Chen has uh, believes that we are seeing a breakthrough in the financial side for gold mining companies. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Chen Lin.
business? You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt, and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Mill Rock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Mill Rock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Barry Mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake Mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I'm very pleased to have with me my partner and friend, Chen Lin. He is the editor of What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Welcome, Chen. Thank you, Jay. Well, it's really good to have you here. You know, we, uh, we, we seem to have more time today for you and Roger, my two partners, and I'm really glad that's true because I think we've been cheating our, uh, our listeners to a certain extent by not having both of you on more frequently. But, uh, Chen, you're having a very good year this year. Uh, you were right, and I was sort of wrong about this. I was, I was, I've been more skeptical, more fearful of a major market turndown You've not been so worried about that. You uh, basically stayed on the long side of this market, whereas I was, you know, largely, not largely, but had a good chunk of my portfolio in cash and a good chunk of my portfolio in, uh, uh, you know, shorting the market through a couple of different instruments. But you you stayed on the long side, and it's worked out very, very well. What caused you to be so convinced that we were not going to have an imminent market collapse? Well, it's... Um, in the market collapse, I uh, wasn't very sure about, but I was uh, pretty confident about uh, gold and silver stock. Okay, mm-hmm. so in the summer, I was fully invested, or very close to fully invested, mostly in the gold and silver stock, plus a few other outside. You have, you know, have one energy stock, you know, a few pop stock. That's, you know, pretty much it is. But mostly in gold and silver stock. Um, there are a couple reasons uh, why I was uh, so convinced about that. Um, one is just the feeling. Okay, I went through 2008. Okay, I went through that correction. And then before that, you know, 2000, I was investing in technology stock. I went through 2000 correction. I went through mm-hmm. 2001, 2002. And uh, this 2010 doesn't feel like 2008, just from, you know, my mm-hmm. gut feeling, mm-hmm. uh, because people are very scared. That's uh-huh. the, key difference. Okay, 2008, remember 2008, first half, people were so confident. Oh, yep. you go into old-time high, commodity is the only way to, to invest. Remember, mm-hmm. that was first half of 2008. Uh, that's the only way you, you need to invest in commodity. Or the hedge fund were long commodity and then short financial. Remember, that was uh, the scene. And mm-hmm. then Henry, you know, the, the Paulson came, um, Henry Paulson came and then he stopped he forbid people to short um, the financial, right? They yeah, that's right. In fact, the uh, regulation was passed. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, that, that prohibited and um, uh, you weren't allowed to short the market, the, and the financials right. anyway. Exactly. There was a huge short-term rally, and then short-squeeze rally, and then a lot of those uh, long commodity short um, you know, financial hedge fund was called on margin call, and then they have to sell commodity. Remember, it was like a, a chaos. I mean, because partially because in the first half, people were so convinced commodity is in, was invincible at that mm-hmm. time. Okay, and then it turned out to be not true, and then people in a hurry to just to sell the raise liquidity, you know, liquidity just try to raise cash. This can can sell anything, you know. So that was a very very tough year. And this year, I feel uh, the difference. It's like people are well, pre- well prepared 
you know, there's estimate $10 trillion was on the sideline. So I figure on people on the sideline not collecting any interest, thanks to our, you know, uh, fart fat governor Bernanke. Sure. Then, you know, those people have have some urge to generate some return because, you know, you're just sitting there collecting zero interest. Right. Printing like there's no tomorrow. You know, there's something got to give. So I feel it's, you know, it's like a push and pull, but I feel more chance, much more chance is those people will come back to the market. And where they will come back, I will most likely will come back to gold and silver because that's a real money. So mm-hmm. that, that's basically, you know, my, my, my analysis. Okay, that's the first part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second part of it, I feel the market was manipulated. Mm-hmm. I feel Wall Street hate Obama, hate all these things because they passed the financial reform. They, you know, they, they, they cut their, you know, cut their finger off. They, they mm-hmm. can't get as much bonuses or profit as mm-hmm. they could. Mm-hmm. So they hate him. So they were trying to uh, manipulate the market mm-hmm. so that to make him look bad. So make sure Democrats will lose the election, and then Republicans come back. Maybe they're more pro-Wall Street, and then, you know, mm-hmm. they got their voice. So I, that's another feeling I got. Uh, then, you know, it's a very thinly traded market in the summer, so it's very easy to manipulate. Yeah. So I feel they, they are trying to manipulate the market. Mm-hmm. So you remember there were Hinderbank Almond, there's all these yes. other technical things. Very, very scary. Frankly, I was scared. Yeah. <laughs> so I turned turn off CNBC. I remember I told you I turned off CNBC. I'm not watching it anymore because they just tell me to sell, and I'm not selling. Yeah. Well, you're, you're an independent thinker, Chen, and that's why uh, let me just um, uh, just remind our listeners uh, the reason we have Chen on here on a regular basis is because he's had an extraordinarily great track record. And the one account that we follow, uh, because it is an, a Roth IRA and no, no new money going in, no money coming out, uh, just a really it's easy to track the performance. It was started out at 5,400 back in 2003 of January, grew to over 2.1 million in April this year. It's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry, 1.1 million. It's now a little bit over a million dollars again, I believe. So, Chen, you've had an extraordinarily uh, great track record, and the reason is because you think outside the box. You turn CNBC off when it's necessary, when you know that you're getting fed a bunch of baloney, and that's what we all need to do. We need to think for ourselves, and that's what this show is really all about. It's trying to have uh, people start to think for themselves and think outside the box. Well, Chen, there's another development this week that you brought to my attention that you think is extraordinarily important for the junior gold mining sector, and that is a financing arrangement for Alexis Minerals. I believe it's a $60 million financing. Could you tell our listeners what you think is unique about this financing and why you think it's so important for junior mining companies that are evolving into production? Yes, that's a very good question, Jay. Uh, the, 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 the reason I'm very excited about this is that uh, this company, Alexis Mineral, was about $60 million. Uh, dollar market cap when the deal was announced. Now it's moved much higher. But at that time, a $60 million uh, market cap company, if they want to raise $60 million, oh, people will laugh at them. You know, yeah. They would drive their, their share down, cut in half, that they cannot raise money anymore until they bankrupt. That's just what happened in 2008. But what they did was they were able to not only raise $60 million, they didn't get any, they don't have to issue any warrants, and they didn't have to... Um, 
issue have any hedging, which is terrible for gold mining company. So they don't they don't need the warrant, they don't need hedging, and then the interest rate um, it seems from we had this conference call with the management seems a reasonable interest rate. You know, we don't know exactly it is, but it sounds like it's going to be a reasonable interest. It's just like a bank. They go instead of they finance a building. They finance a factory. They finance a gold mine. You know, mm-hmm. it's just no much difference. I think that's a re- the way it should be. You uh-huh. know, gold is producing wealth, so gold mining companies should be financed just like a regular business. So I think this is the first one I ever heard of, and then I, I'm sure it will, will not be the last one. And this will liberate all these junior companies who need financing. I think that's the way to go. So you see that many of the other financings have been extremely dilutive, that is, in one way or another. If you have a gold loan, you might be you know, forced to lock in uh, a long-term gold price, let's say, at 800 or $900 or 1000 or whatever the price of gold is when you do the deal. Then, you know, with gold rising the way it is, you are giving up a huge amount of upside for your shareholders, and that's going to the banker, isn't it? That's what happens in these gold loans. Exactly. Just remember, Apollo, that was my favorite last year, which, which was a very bad pick. But what happened was, they, when they did the financing, they had to give, out, give away one-third of the company free you mm-hmm. know, to the banker, almost free to the bankers. And then they had to hatch the gold price at uh, 860 even though at that time the gold price was at $1,000. You know, in order to get a loan, that was a ridiculous term. You know, you know, so this if the issue gold miner, finding company juniors, can do a loan like Alexis did, I, I think we will have a huge appreciation for all the juniors. Not okay, the- here's another question for you, Chen. So in many other sort of financings, you've got the, the investment uh, bankers taking a hu- getting a huge number of warrants, too. So that's dilutive for the, uh, for the investors. So you're saying there are no warrants attached to this deal. Exactly, no warrants. Is it no just hand- a straight loan, then? It's just a straight loan. That's where it should be, right? Uh-huh. You go out... You, uh, you, you know, you, you want to build a factory, and then you said, oh, I have to give your warrant to the bank. That, mm-hmm. That's not right. I mean, it's just a loan. This is a collateral. It's a factory. And then you gave me a loan, gave me an interest rate. That, and mm-hmm. I got into business in a couple of years. That's how it's done, and how it should be done in gold mining industry. Right. It hasn't been doing that, and then all the investors take a step back because people just worry about you do a, a private placement, extensive private placement, and hit my share price. Right. So, so in other words, uh, if you really look at the overall cost of a lot of these gold mine financings, they've, they've been an enormously expensive, is what you're saying. And I think if I hear what you're saying, just to summarize, we're looking at a financing here that is very reasonable for the, for the investors, for the shareholders, for a change. Exactly. And then you can see the stock, how much it performs. You know, it's, it's almost 60% after the announcement, 50, 60, because Investors love it. You know, this is the first. Uh, well, Chen, what what makes you think that this could be a new trend? I mean, you, you know, the, because it's a competitive marketplace, and other uh, and other gold mining companies are going to demand it, and they'll be able to get it. Or why wouldn't the investment community continue to gouge these gold mining companies if they can get away with it? Are you su- suggesting they won't be able to now? Right, because there's other money. I, I, I sincerely hope they won't be able to gouge in the mining company from yeah. now on. Uh, I think this is the first breakthrough. I hope there will be second and third, and people eventually follow this rule. Because it's very simple. If you believe gold is money, and then this company is generating money, there's no difference from this 
gold mine, junior miner, versus this factory, versus this shop, versus sure. building this building. What's the difference? Sure. Right? They want a straightforward loan, and I just gave them a loan. Sure. I guess, you know, when we were in a bear market for gold, uh, it, was a hard, it was hard to make a case for, for higher gold prices, uh, and hence it was hard to get financing. So the bankers would require locking in a certain price, you know, and, um, and, and making sure that there was enough, uh, enough there to make sure that the, that the entity remained solvent. But I, I think this is potentially a very big turning point because, as I mentioned in our introductory remarks, there are a growing number of junior mining companies now that are at that stage where they're going to go into a production where they are going into production, uh, we have several, you know, several sponsors to this show that we've had. Barkerville Gold, of course, Crocodile Gold are producers. American Bonanza is getting ready to go into production soon. So um, I think this is a really exciting uh, turn of events. Chen, we only have a couple more minutes. Actually, my engineer is saying we've got four minutes before we uh, bring Bob Hoy on and go to commercial and bring Bob Hoy on. But you are also very bullish on, uh, on, on commodities in general and oil right now. And we're going to uh, hopefully ask Bob what his feelings are about the commodity markets as we get into that. But um, why do you like oil right now? Oh, uh, just oil in particular, the, the commodity right now is getting to a seasonality strong period. Mm-hmm. And then I, my another understanding is China is going to fill up its strategic oil reserve as around the end of the, this year. So that will support a firm oil price going forward. You know, okay. I'm not looking for oil to go up like a gold does. I mean, I'm just looking for a stable stability of oil company because I know a lot of oil company that can produce at cost like 30 and $40 and make a lot of money at the current oil price. Okay, Chen, you, uh, I don't know, you had mentioned that there are some really big things taking place now in the oil sector uh, having to do with horizontal drilling and with shale, and you believe this is going to really increase the supply uh, longer term. Is that right? Yeah, this is a huge technology breakthrough. It's horizontal drilling in the U.S., Canada. It's called Balkan, and then there's a new uh, new area called Niagara. Uh, so what it does is it drills horizontally for about two miles long, very long well, mm-hmm. and then you do a multi-fraction, you know, uh-huh. fracking. Okay, so then you know you basically be able to suck the oil out of the shell. Uh, that's traditional method was not able to. Uh-huh. It's very economical. Uh, at the current price, and it's pretty straightforward because you can almost calculate all your by acre, uh, you know, and then you can, you know, uh, it's quick, you know, and just basically you, you drill uh, almost every well. It's a successful well because the, the geology is well known. Yeah. So that's technology, and people are going to apply any, anywhere else. Okay, uh, first I want to say this came from the shell gas, okay? It was the same technology that produced gas, and now they apply it to oil. And then it's, they want to apply the same similar technology to, to all over the world now. And one of the ones I'm watching very closely is one in France. So they want to turn the Paris Basin uh, into the new Norway or something, new big oil field. And this is a pioneering by Hess, another company I'm recommending as territorial resource because they're joint venture to do this, uh, this deal. Okay, well, you know, folks, you know, you can take advantage of Chen's uh, uh, special offer for a trial subscription by calling uh, Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426 or go to our website at miningstocks.com. Chen puts out uh, a a letter almost daily. It's a... uh, 
an alert that he sends out, and, and he always has some great ideas. He is passing on his knowledge, that knowledge that allowed him to turn $5,400 into well over a million dollars in just a few years. Um, he's sharing that information with you, and I think you might do well to try, um, you know, to, to give a trial, uh, try to Chen's letter and see if it might not be for you. Um, it certainly is a benefit to us and to the subscribers to my newsletter. I do pass some of that along to my subscribers as well. Chen, I think we're just about out of time. We're going to be going to Bob Hoy here, and I, I hope you'll listen to what Bob has to say, and uh, I'd like your feedback uh, as well. Uh, off the air uh, and perhaps on the air sometime in the near future. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with our special guest this week, Bob Hoy, uh, who will have, I'm sure, a lot of very, very interesting things to say about gold and silver, copper, what have you, the dollar. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Bob Hoy. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Mill Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. 
Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the Treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources Traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry Mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake Mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program welcome back to training hard times and good times i am your host jay taylor well our main guest today is bob hoy bob has been a guest of ours in the past on several occasions his academic background was in geophysics i believe but uh, after spending some time in the bush he decided that he would rather do something else so he put his talents to work as a financial analyst. Uh, I would call him a, hist- a market historian. Uh, he's been providing excellent advice for many years to institutional and wealthy investors. And thanks uh, to Bob for his willingness to talk uh, to us here today and in the past. He is also providing, passing on some of that very sound advice to average folks who may not be able to afford his uh, his expensive advice. Bob, welcome again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Jay, thanks for the comments, and good to be with you. Oh, it's terrific to have you with me, and uh, also I have you have with us uh, my partner, Roger Wiegand, who is also on the West Coast, uh, semi-ammo, just south of, uh, of British Columbia there, uh, and so both of you guys are enjoying beautiful weather on the West Coast today, and I have to envy you sitting here in yep. New York. In any event, let's get started here. There's so much uh, to talk about. Uh, your publication, Bob, is Pivotal Events, or I think you're calling it now perhaps Quick Pivot. Well, uh, yeah, we're doing uh, a letter. You stated uh, the, the following. The main one is quote. Pivotal Events. The shorter ones will be the Quick Pivot, and we did one of those last week. Okay. And we're noting that the some of the key items in the marketplace have been stretched to the limit uh, as of Friday on the action in the the U.S. dollar index. It registered what we call a downside capitulation. Uh, we don't get that reading too often, and when you do get it, it's sort of within a week or so of the end of the move. And then, as you'd expect, because the euro is the biggest weighting on the other side, it's registering an upside exhaustion signal, and same thing holds for that. So we're awfully close to 
the end of this pretty exciting move, and it certainly added a lot of heat to the last couple of days. The other thing that's helping the decline in the U.S. dollar, of course, is that in order for the U.S. dollar to go down, it needs to have something hot on the speculative side on the other side with commodities. And in this case, the last couple of trading days, it's been uh, the strength in crude oil. And we often see uh, seasonal strength, and we mentioned it a few weeks ago, into late September into early October. And uh, this is certainly there with, uh, you know, about up a dollar and a half on crude today. So we're seeing this exciting move as perhaps enough to end what's going on. And also, Jay, it's worth adding that, you know, it's all one move. You can build a story for sugar. You can build a different story for crude oil. But it's all one move, and it's the U.S. dollar going down. Well, I think that also energizes the stock side. It energizes corporate bond markets. So, but we prefer to just call it the AOMM, all one market move. Well, I noticed you you're calling on that. Uh, I would like to to go back to the dollar though just for a moment if we if, if we could just sort of understand the mechanics of this. You noted that the dollar for the dollar to go down, you need to see up moves in some of this uh, the, the risk trade as some people call it, uh oil and you know whatever yeah. else you're talking about. Now, you I think have been, you know, one of the few people that have pointed out the mechanics of this and why the dollar gets strong when the opposite happens. When these markets shrink, you have what you call a short covering of the dollar, in essence, don't yeah. you? Well, a lot of people think, and this goes right back to the formation of interventionist economics. They have an idea that if you depreciate the currency, then the dollar or the speculation will drive commodity prices up. But we're in a, in a, and been in a regime, monetary regime, where the guys at the Fed want to depreciate it every day. But yeah. it doesn't go down every day, and and there's certain periods of time, like in the 1930s, where the purchasing power of the dollar did go up, despite massive efforts to depreciate the dollar. So, I think you got to understand that is in, in order for the Fed to depreciate the dollar, you got to have somebody bidding up hot items, asset classes, because it's the old saying from way back that the Federal Reserve can provide reserves to the banking system. But if the bankers aren't borrowing money, then they're just pushing on a string. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm very confident that the reason why you get these bursts, down, you know, down shots in the U.S. dollar is that they arise in an asset price is permitting it. So if we go back to 2007, 2008, and particularly going into the crash in 2008, the, the, the troops were all saying that the ultimate disaster is at hand, the dollar is going to go to zero, and gold and silver are going to go to the moon, all that sort of stuff. But the trick is, if you get this other type of thinking in, is that the disaster wouldn't be the depreciation of the dollar. It would be going up, because they're back short it, and they're long, hot stories. And this worked out. We were one of the very few that expected with the cra- going into the crash of uh, in 08, that uh, silver would tank relative to gold, gold would have a brief setback, and the dollar would soar. And so here we are again. You've got an energetic market, you have a weak dollar, and you have the dollar index now registering extremes to the downside. So uh, it's all close to turning in here. 
And you mentioned, Bob, in the past that this is really what happens to the senior currency, the world's reserve currency, and I think you've tracked it back and have looked at the pound sterling in other eras. So yeah. it, it, it has to do with the, with the senior currency getting the strongest. Is that because that is the currency with the most short positions, the most loans yeah. out? Well, you look at it like when sterling was the senior currency in London was the main market, and you get into these periods of financial asset speculation, of which people mainly talk about the stock market, but it's only a portion of the game, because you also have a, a huge speculation in debt instruments. Absolutely. Bigger. So then you have the public gets into the mode to reach for the extra yield, you know, and that's always dangerous. But nonetheless, the underwriting community in either then London or now New York are very, very eager to, you know, place issues of of suspect Turkish banks and Bolivian securities to go back way back in time. And then these uh, tin pot countries get the money, and they usually just waste it, and then they never, ever think, uh, I mean, like they even said that about Greece, within their culture, there was never any concept that they would have to pay the money back. <laughs> so... Um, then you have to pay it back, and, and that then, so what you have here is, just pick a number. Say, say that 60% of all the new debt that was issued with the mania was due and payable in New York in, in U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. So that makes it the one that is on, on paying debt, if you consider retiring debt in the form of, of, uh, of reducing IOUs or reducing short positions. So anyways, it ends up where you have then, you have the senior currency, everybody owes it. And then you have all just the straight speculators who uh, use the term the carry trade. So they were using uh, yen because you could get low-cost money there and using dollars. As a matter of fact, a year or so ago, uh, there was even more of this play in the uh, carry trade in the U.S. dollar than there was in yen. So, but let's just leave the yen out for the moment. So you know, then you have people have bought hot assets and have borrowed money against that. So what happens when the assets go down? You got to repay the borrowed money, which is the equivalent of a short position. So what we're looking at is the biggest short position in history, and they're all short the U.S. dollar. And uh, every one of these. Uh, periods of liquidity crisis, uh, they have to sell things to meet the demands of the margin clerk. And then right. that's what happens. The dollar goes up. So right. today's world, where you have, fortunately, at least we do, some very sophisticated trading tools, and uh, our key one now for looking at the big picture is the downside capitulation model, and we're there uh, on the dollar. So you're bullish right now on the dollar. Uh, well, let's put it this way. The dollar index could bottom within, let's say, a week. Mm -hmm. But what we would look for would be an uptick in the dollar index or uh, a reduction in the momentum. So on that for a trader. But for an advisor, yeah, you could say we're about to put our bullish hat on and see where it goes. 
Okay, so then if that's the case, then you would expect a lot of the risk trade to go into reverse, that is, or what you call your all-one-market reversal. And you said in your quick pivot of last week uh, that you thought that this move was pretty much over. But again, as as I mentioned in the introductory uh, remarks today, we're looking at a Dow that's up 200 points or so today. We're looking at uh, copper. We're looking at energy, gold, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, gold, silver. uh, Everything is going uh, up today, Bob. Yeah, nickel has been flying. You know, it, it's all happening. Now, this is, this is the concluding part of a move that started coming out of the problems earlier in the summer. Because you had the lovely high in the stock market and all these things in April, and then a correction in that as the, uh, you know, it was due for a correction. And this then, as we were talking about late August, we thought that uh, the Traders would come back from holidays. Everybody get on board and say this is positive. So we've been looking for sunshine in September, and uh, we didn't know it would be the best September since who knows when. Yeah. But at any rate, we've got that, and this is all all concluding stuff that may conclude within the next few trading days. Bob, most of the uh, most of the gold bugs that I know, people that are really into gold, and I don't know that you would characterize yourself as a gold bug, but most of the gold bugs I know make the case for gold because they're inflationist and they're darn sure that the gold that the dollar is going to go through the floor, you know, uh, to oblivion. Yeah. And uh, what are they missing? Why are they not seeing what you're seeing? You're going well, back and looking at history, and you're saying, this is what happens. And even if you look in a short-term period of time, the Lehman Brothers collapse, this is yeah. what happened. This is what happened at other times in more recent times as well. Why don't people see that? Well, we, the, myself included, we all learned in the late 60s and started by Jim Dines, who then began to say that the uh, policy, monetary policy would drive the dollar down to zero. Mm-hmm. And indeed, it turned out to be correct. Mm-hmm. But now, let's go back to '05. You had a terrific bear raid on the U.S. dollar. It was happy land for the gold bugs, even happier for the silver bugs. You know what they missed out? <laughs> They didn't. They've had this idea that if the dollar goes down, it's only gold and silver go up. Yeah. But you had crude oil go up. You had wage rates go up. So let's take a look at energy costs when you're running a mine. First of all, you got the straight energy costs of running the mine, which one way or another are dependent on the price of crude oil. Then the other thing, you got the cost of blasting agents and all that sort of stuff, and one way or another, that's an energy cost. So what was happening is it was the best of all worlds for the gold bugs, dollar crashing, but the senior gold stocks weren't getting anywhere yeah. because they weren't making any money. <laughs> so what was going on is that the cost of mining were going up faster than the cost of, or than the price of bullion. So this well, is Bob- where our old historical work comes in, where back in 1980 took the price of gold in the senior economy all the way back to 1700 and divided it all out. So then you have a history of the real price of gold. And then you let it tell you the story rather than you tell the story to gold. And the story that gold tells is that every time you have a huge financial mania, such as 1720 or 1772 or 1825, the real price of gold will come down to an important low with, as the bubble ends. And uh, if you go back to, say, the 1929 bubble, 
Then you've got some numbers on then the senior producer home stake. Sure, home stake stock went up a little moderately with the bubble and moderate relative to what was going on, say, in Radio Corp, RCA. Mm-hmm. And their earnings went down, and they were uh, the price of gold was unchanged at $20.67 an ounce. But the reason why their earnings went down is because the cost of mining went up in the, in the bull market. Mm-hmm. Then you had, uh, well, it got down to eight and an eighth. <clears throat> you could have bought Homestake in the first half of 1930 <clears throat> for about $9. And then uh, the bull market, the bear market crashed in, in the big stock market and gave up, what, 85%? Mm-hmm. And you had, and, and the lows were for with were Homestake, or that eight to $9. dollars mm-hmm. And then it started to go up. So you go to the end of 1932, where the price of gold was still fixed at $20.67. This was before Roosevelt started fooling around with it. And the stock was up like 130%. And their earnings were up something like 130%. But there was no change in the price of gold. It was still $20.67. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they were their costs of mining fell. Uh, copper mines were being shut down all over the place, so then they had uh, a, a lid on the cost of labor. Mm-hmm. So it was, and it. So then you think, okay, maybe that's just an exceptional condition, but no, the real price of gold has gone down to an important low on every bubble in financial and tangible assets. Mm-hmm. It did in our case, uh, and we then switched over. <clears throat> excuse me to use the. A gold divided by commodities index. So we wanted to use the Economist All Items, but uh, it's not available electronically every day. So then we created our own index. It's just straight commodities, with the understanding that because gold isn't a commodity, you don't put it in a commodity index. And I would address that to the guys who create the CRB and some of these other commodity indexes. Mm-hmm. So. This is what we get. So the price of gold come down, came down with the bubble that peaked in 2007. The price got down to 143 in May of 2007. And that's an important time because that's when we're expecting the credit markets to begin their turn to a disaster. So gold, the uh, real price started up in May of 07 as the credit markets turned down. And then as the crash and the panic was on in February of 2009. That gold divided by commodities index got up to 519. Wow! And then it's all Jay. It's also an indicator because it started to come down from, and it was, I think it was 10 days before the the panic ended on March the 9th. Mm-hmm. So um, this real price of gold is not only important for uh, mining companies. It's also important if you're a trader, and it, it, it tends to lead lead changes here. So, anyways, this is the short history of of, the, of gold: is that ultimately it's money, and uh, ultimately, in at the end of a great financial mania, it reaches an important low. So, that low was in 2007. So, by our terms, the price of gold has only been going up for since then, or, or you know. Uh, Five, you know, four four years in real terms. Now, in real Bob, terms, you three years, you, yeah, yeah. Now you said that uh, you say just a few days short of the bottom. Then 
this real price of gold started to give an indication uh, that the worst of the equity markets were, was probably over. Yeah. Oh, 10 days on that one. 10 days. Okay. Yeah. And this and is the kind of information you provide on, on a regular on basis, a weekly basis. Swing since. I'm sorry? It's been very good on the intermediate swing since. Where, mm-hmm. When it turns up, it leads uh, a stock market sell-off. So it started to turn up about 11 or 12 trading days ago. So this suggests is another way of suggesting that the stock market, this current rally, is very close to rolling over. To the end, uh, at least. Yeah. Now, um, I want to ask you some more questions uh, in terms of where you think the equity market's going, but I also want to give my partner, Roger Wiegand, a chance. Roger, do you have any thoughts or any questions for Bob at this point? Yeah, the, the, the age-old question of the inflation-deflation argument that we have ongoing, and also I would be curious what Bob thinks about the Bernanke and his quantitative easing. <laughs> that second, well, let me just interject for a second, Bob, before you answer Roger's question. You know, we've, we've um, titled today's episode, uh, Is Ben's Helicopter Working? Is, it, is, his, is his helicopter working, I think is the way we put it. Uh, yeah. Or more specifically, uh, is Ben's helicopter working miracles? No. It's not. No. Okay. Um, again, it is the, the blunder that creating credit or driving down the value of the dollar pushes prices up. What it is is that the crash happened, and then you're going to get a huge rebound out of a crash like that, uh, at least a 56%, 50% retracement on the Dow and things like that. And we figured it would run for six months, but it ran until April. Then it's had a good correction, and then it looks like it's reaching a maximum here, but... The effort that's being put into this to push asset prices up is immense. So they flood uh, the banking system with their own created stimulus, and it has to go somewhere. But those bankers um, had a, learned a lesson in the crash, and they're not going to put money into a loser. Mm-hmm. They're going to bid something up that they can play and tra- trade out of. So, and then so that's the wilder bankers, and they've been mainly, mainly trading. Uh, Guess what? Stocks, corporate bonds, and commodities. And there now these are at speculative highs. They're not buying any losers. And then the bankers that are still being cautious, they're probably buying treasuries rather than lending money. So I think the next leg down in the financial markets will prove to many skeptics that um, hands-on policy-making Interventionist central banking has always been a crock of you-know-what. So to Roger's question, and Roger, one was the inflation-deflation issue, right? So yes. Now that's the next part of the question. The first yeah. part was Bernanke, and I believe that Mother Nature is going to disprove his theory. The other one is inflation and deflation. And back in the classical economic times, the proper definition of inflation was an inordinate expansion of credit. It did not say an inordinate rise of prices. That was changed in the literature by Keynes when he dreamt up his crackpot theories. And then of a series of letters with some research guys at the Federal Reserve, finally managed to persuade them that, that uh, inflating credit had nothing to do with ultimately rising prices. So if you then go back to classical world and you consider, yeah, 
every party has a, a credit expansion, and the main reason why it expands is because the ultimate trader will be leveraged in any kind of a market that's going up. So then that expands the credit, and then once the prices stop going up, they eventually go down, in which case then all the power shifts out of the hands of the Federal Reserve and over to the margin clerks who, and you'll agree with this, Jay and Roger, that the margin clerk has a different job description than a central banker. <laughs> it, it, it seems sure. that the job description nowadays, if you consider Helicopter Ben, his job and intention now is to get the accounts out of line, like everybody leveraged up. Whereas your margin clerk, his job is to get the accounts in line. And the crash from 2007 into 2009 shows that the margin clerks, when it comes down to it, have more power than the central bankers. That's fascinating, and it certainly so is here you go. We are on a credit contraction. M3, until recently, has been contracting. And you have... Um, uh, that's Let's call those sort of normal instruments of credit. But then you've also had a hell of a contraction in the abnormal instruments of credit. So, uh, like the subprime mortgage stuff virtually disappeared. And then you've got severe problems now with uh, sovereign debt. So, let's, it's, it's much safer uh, practically to consider that inflation is an expansion of credit that is associated with soaring prices. And then when credit wants to contract, there's nothing anybody can do about it. And then Credit starts to contract, and because of the agency of of uh, margin clerks, then uh, prices fall because it's hey, either come up with the equity in your account or we sell you out. So that it's as simple as that. There's nothing special to it. And the sad thing is, of course, that all of the guys behind modern central banking all believe that if you increase credit, it pushes prices up and. And then Bernanke, with his helicopters, had this idea that if you throw credit at a credit contraction, it'll make the credit contraction go away. Well, it's not new. Uh, your prototypical bubble and crash uh, blew out in 1618 um, in England and also in, in uh, Am Amsterdam, which was then the financial and commercial center of the world, because... It wasn't, there weren't enough stocks around to have a stock market, but there was still a credit market. And uh, the, uh, a promoter uh, got a hold of the, the British government, the Crown, and persuaded it to, uh, well, duplicate cloth finishing capacity, and they doubled it. So, and then it went wrong. So there was a, an enormous financial crash, 1618 to 1623, which then initiated a long contraction that today would be called a Great Depression. And then you had uh, an intellectual, uh, Edward Misseldon, who wrote a paper, I can't remember the name of it, but published it at the time. And essentially, here was a guy who may have been sheltered from the markets, or at least wasn't practical, said that uh, you need to have a fund of money, and what he essentially said is you can throw credit at a credit contraction, it'll go away. Yeah. But if you're talking to... Well, you've got to skip back to the previous century when Sir Thomas Gresham was a very successful trader and was also acting on behalf of the British Crown's interest in the money market in Antwerp in the 1550s, 1560s. 
and there was a disaster there. The stock market crashed, the usual panic, credit disappeared, and he just quietly explained there's nothing anybody can do about it except to keep your house in order. And if you owe money to the money market, you want to keep your domestic currency as high as possible. Mm-hmm. And here you have, you then now have got all these uh, countries with weaker currencies relative to the dollar, and they owe large amounts of money into New York. So it's it's the same old, same old, once same. again, deja vu all over again. So the same pattern continues to go on and on through these yeah. long-term cycles. Bob, we do have to take a break now for a commercial. We're going to come back with you, and I have a whole bunch more questions, and I'm sure my partner Roger Wiegand does too. I want to ask you, where do you think this equity market's going long-term? Have we seen the lows? Uh, I want to ask you about gold and silver. What do you think about silver and a host of other things? So don't go away, folks. You're going to be right back with Bob Hoy immediately after the commercial break. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX Exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the Treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information. 
Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by as regular listeners to this show know i am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks one of my favorite gold mining companies is metanor resources traded toronto and the pink sheets this is a new gold producer it is using cash flows from its berry mine in quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world famous quebec bachelor lake mine back into production this stock has been recommended by my newsletter because i do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk visit metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network try not to try too hard it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech stocks at www.miningstocks.com now back to our program welcome back to the second hour of turning hard times into good times i am your host jay taylor and again i want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making it the number one show on the voice america business channel i want to also thank our sponsors for the second hour of today's show they are barkerville gold crocodile gold coral gold metanor resources and uranium energy corp well, back to Bob Hoy. Uh, Bob, at the break, uh, one of the things that I had on my mind that I wanted to ask you about is this issue of the equity markets. We had this plunge to, uh, to a low in March of 2009 following the Lehman Brothers' failure. We've bounced off. Now, most people are thinking we're on and off to the races. You were talking about the last segment. You were talking about how uh, various things that you, that you were talking about, including the real price of gold, is suggesting that this run is pretty much over. So my question to you is this. Are we going to go down and test the 2009 March lows? And if so, how soon will that do you think that will happen? Secondly, what is your best guess in terms of do we break those lows or do we bounce off and, and uh, start to have better times again? Yeah, good question, Jay. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the the lows of March '09 are going to be like a like a great gravity pit. They're pulling the markets down. Now, on the other side, you have extreme ambition on the side of the Fed that every once in a while, when they get a chance, they'll juice the market. But that's only when you want to have when the market wants to have a rebound. So at any rate, I think by steps, and I'm not sure how long a time, but you're you're going to go down to that to that low, and that was a disaster low. It was even a bigger hit than the first crash in 1929. That was uh, apart from January down to March, which the street was discovering just how. Uh, how uh, dreadful uh, Obama would be in running things. So at any rate, 
Yes, a target would be those lows, and it might take two or three intermediate cycles, you know, ups and downs to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger, have you got a question for Bob? Yes, uh, I've been curious about uh, all this TARP money that came to the big banks in New York uh, from the U.S. government. Uh, It's my view that the big banks were basically insolvent with all the derivative problems, and it appears they've taken the derivatives, parked them in a back room somewhere to hide them off the balance sheet or whatever, and then the government came in with these billions of dollars to replenish capital in the banks. Then the banks turned around, and they and they don't want to loan money. There, there's no place to put it. The yeah. ones that can borrow it don't want to borrow mm-hmm. money, and the rest of them really don't qualify. So the money yeah. stays in the banks, and uh, they they invest the bank money that they got from TARP uh, in in long range bonds uh, in the U.S. Treasury. And I just think that with all that money sitting in those bonds in the hands of those bankers. With this quantitative easing coming, I think there's going to be a big squeeze coming, and the bankers are going to get squashed with the value of those bonds going down. Yeah, I agree. In the early 1930s, banks who had money stopped lending to individuals and corporations. It became very risky. So they parked uh, some of the money in, in longer-dated treasuries. So then in the worst of the post-1920 deflation, like from mid-31 to mid-32, the yield, the nominal yield for the long bond went up. It went from like about 313 to four and a quarter. So this was then, the banks under further squeeze, they had to sell their bonds to shore up their own reserves. So, and then also in 1932, Barron's editorial concluded that every anti-deflationary measure taken by the Fed, which was then buying bonds out of the market, has been seen to be a failure as the vortex of deflation keeps taking bond prices down. It's a lovely little piece, and I've just paraphrased it. So there is risk, high risk at the long end of the, of the Treasury market. And again, there is risk in credit spreads. The um, corporations have been bid up. Risk is again popular, so there's a, there's an opportunity to lose money there. And it all hinges upon the ability of the policymakers to lower the dollar from this level. And as we point out, we're at a trading exceptional low for the dollar index now. So it's close to the all one all one market change. <laughs> So the rep, so what you're saying then, Bob, is you think that the bull market, this long bull market in the long bond uh, that started around 1982 or something like that, 81, could be, could be close to an 81. end. Mm-hmm. Or not? Yeah, the, the yield on the long bond was 15 percent at its maximum in 1981. Right. And then it's down to whatever you know, three or four percent. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is close to ending. And it's not going to be hyperinflation that drives the bond price down. It's going to be the in, in a post-bubble world, you're going to have the great bond revulsion where everybody says, I, you know, the risk is too much. And as I said, the Barons in 1932 summed it up, the vortex of deflation in bond prices. Interesting. You, it, the problem in the bond market won't be inflation. It will be the inability to service debt. And that's the killer. So, 
But I guess the point then that the inflationists will make is that the government can always go out and buy more of the debt. That is the that is. Oh, the, they've been the, saying that forever. But you still, you know, the Fed has been able to do that since they opened the door in January 1914. If you take a look at the credit markets and the and the bond markets and stock markets, all these things, you've had huge swings with severe deflation coming into them from time to time. And uh, the idea that the Fed made an error and was tight in the early 1930s is purely exists to explain why a perfect instrument like the Fed didn't work. And while <laughs> I've got newspaper articles in real time that that point out that the Federal Reserve did, was trying to inflate all the way down. They did everything in their power to inflate, didn't they, Bob? And yeah, it didn't work. They did. Right, and that's what people seem to be losing now. Bernanke is suggesting they didn't do it well enough, they didn't do enough of it, that's they weren't right. smart enough, or what? He, but you see, they figure the Federal Reserve is the perfect to- uh, policy tool. So then it didn't work, therefore the guys running it didn't run it wa- right. So that's your ad hominem argument. They uh, attack the guys who are running it. Right. They cannot admit that... So, but, do you think the senior central bank was not trying to do something at the end of the 1825 bubble to keep it going? Mm-hmm. Not at all. So the the history of bubbles is also a due diligence on the ability of the senior central bank to keep a bubble going. Right. And your due diligence suggests there is limits bubbles, to that. And there's been five great depressions. We're not far enough after the last bubble in 2007 to say that we really are in the Great Depression, but we're getting close to it. Okay. Um, and this, but, this, this has a bearing on gold, too. On the real price of gold? Yeah. And that's what's really important is the real price of gold. What an ounce of gold will buy? And that's what I tell my subscribers on an ongoing yeah. basis, in large part because of this insight that you brought to me, Bob, and I thank you very much for that. Yeah. I want to ask you about something else to do with gold and silver. The gold-silver ratio can give us a lot of information, too, with respect to where the markets are going. Can you give, us, give our oh, listeners yeah. a little sense but of that? For, Jay, for this one, we recently switched over to taking silver and dividing it by gold, because then that ratio goes up when the stock market's going up. Okay. So then when the silver-gold ratio heads down, then the stock market goes down with it. And okay. here where we take it and also add a little uh, momentum into it and we take the relative strength index. And we're really right at the point now. And looking at maybe the last 12 or 15 years of uh, the gold silver ra- silver gold ratio, when you get up to about 78 or 79 on the ratio and things roll over, then you get an intermediate correction. If you go get out to... 85, 88, 89 on that ratio. And uh, then, for example, in uh, in the spring of 06, it got up there. That was the last time it was that high. It got to 90. Then you had a bear market for gold and silver, and the stocks follow. So, um, And then back in 96 was another one. So at any rate, there's enough on the table now with, between the uh, downside capitulation in the dollar and today's close on the silver-gold ratio, RSI, at 79. I think we're going to roll over within a few trading days, and then the sector, that's the gold-silver sector, would suffer, suffer an intermediate correction. 
And hey, it's been a it's been a great party. Remember that uh, uh, at the in well, it was uh, October, November a year ago. Our view then was that beginning sometime in 2010, the market for junior golds would begin to broaden. By that we meant that a number of the junior golds that have been dead would come to life. And it was also broadened as more investors and traders came into the market, and this has been happening. So that now you really have a bull market for junior exploration stocks, which we have not had for many, many, many years. Well, Bob, I, I want to get into some specific junior stocks, possibly, but before we do that, I also want to ask you a little bit more about, you've gone back and looked at the history of the real price of gold and what that yeah. means in terms of reliquifying the monetary system with real, true, honest, good money rather than the, the fiat stuff. That, that Oh, yeah. Now, so yeah. this, though, has very profound uh, implications, I think, for the junior gold sector, and I want to get yeah. into that, but... Could you tell our listeners a little bit about it? I, I seem to remember reading about, you, you went back and looked at the previous five great credit expansion and contractions. And if I remember right, you talked about the gold price, the real gold price, rising for a substantial period of time, yeah, 10, okay, 15, 20 years. Now, on. When and, did uh, this one start? When yeah. did this, I think you're, you're telling me, if I remember earlier in our discussion here, that it was long about 2007 when you believe we saw the beginning of the real bull market in gold. Is that right? That's right. It's a secular bull market. So all of these, where we mentioned that you had an important low in the real price of gold as the bubble blows out, then typically the Great Depression, uh, let's be gentler and call it the Great Contraction, can follow for 20 or 25 years, in which case the real price of gold is favorable for the industry for that period of time, say 20 years or so. And uh, the key thing is to understand that the real price of gold did not start to go up when gold was at 252, you know, a decade ago. It right. started to go up in 2007. So this then is where it, it works is that the uh, see, the producers in the gold business, their profit margins start to improve. They start to increase their production, and they get more aggressive in the business. And the main thing is that the annual gold production starts to go up. And although your basic central banker rehearses every morning that he hates gold, but <laughs> the gold going up is increasing the liquidity in the banking system at the same time as all the credit instruments, let's just call normal credit instruments, are, are contracting because the economy can, can't service it. And then you also have had all the wild credit instruments invaded on each bubble, and you, when you call them derivatives, whatever. So anyways, those are contracting. And once that contraction starts, history has shown that no government or government agency has able to, been able to prevent the contraction or even make it easier. So here we are. So I believe that credit will continue to contract. The real price will continue to go up. Producers will mine more of the stuff. And despite the, uh, the superstitions of the Keynesians, that gold gets into the, into, the goal, into the world banking system and begins to improve liquidity. Also, a rising real price of gold 
improves the the valuation on an ore deposit of gold mm-hmm. because if if the you know if the costs of mining it are are stable or going down relative to the bullion price on the other side, then that this is why the action came into the exploration side prior to uh, when uh, Goldcorp took the run at Canplatz beginning I think it was December a year ago. The seniors were were all taking over smaller producers, and medium-sized companies were taking over even smaller producers. But that, in my mind, there may have been others, but that to me was sort of like the signal point where the big guys had to grab, and but it was effectively an expiration bet, and they will continue. There'll be more of it, as we've seen too. Oh. Okay, Bob, I'd like to just offer something to our listeners here that really supports what you're saying. We saw the low in the real price of gold in 2007. Okay, I have some earnings, and this would be companies like Agneagle Eagle, Anglo Ashanti, Barrick, Buenaventura, Gold Corp, Kinross, Newmont, uh, Rangold, Yamana, etc. We had, if you add up the earnings, the annual earnings in 2008, we had 82 cents. 2009, that grew to a dollar 20. The uh, consensus estimate for 2010 for those same country uh, companies is a dollar 82, and the consensus estimate for 2011 from the analyst is two dollars and fifty cents. This shows the dramatic growth in the senior gold mining companies' profits now. You're talking about the ore bodies, certainly, and the reason those ore bodies are worth more is because you're able to produce bigger profits. We're seeing it in real time, what you're talking about, your theory, is really panning out. Now, we're going to see, and as you just mentioned, Gold Corp paying, I think, nearly $900 per ounce in the ground. We're going to see, I think, a phenomenal bull market in the junior sector, among those companies that are able to go out there and find the gold and find real viable deposits. Now, you have some ideas along those lines, and there's one company I know that you are invested in and one that you've told me about, and I've put some speculative money of my own, a small amount in it. Would you care to tell our listeners a little bit about that company? Yeah, this is, this is Horseshoe Gold. The symbol is HFX on the venture. And it's a company I've been involved with that I've raised money for, and I've put my own money in. And in uh, beginning early in the year, we uh, got involved with a private company called Casigo that have a, a very interesting set of gold properties down in, in southern Colombia. Colombia has good mining laws similar to Canada. The government wants to have money uh, go, mining expand. So the two companies are being merged as we speak. And uh, But some of the assays out of this are, are quite remarkable, but it should be also understood that the geology has been identified as virtually identical to the geology of which waters ran in South Africa. And as we know, the Wits area has produced uh, something like 40% of all of the gold ever mined. And this is what this company is involved with now. Assays relieved, uh, released so far from bulk sampling in sort of a sandstone stuff with, with coarse gold in it. First set of samples was in the order of 70% recovery as free milling gold with 7 grams per ton, and that's pretty good on a bulk system. And then another similar uh, big bulk sample, uh, the recovery was 90% uh, as free milling gold with 37 grams per ton, which is comfortably more than an ounce. So uh, the uh, company intends to, the merger will should be finished in a, in a few weeks, you know, given time. 
and the schedule is planning to begin drilling uh, late October in, into November. And there will be a lot of drilling. There will be a lot of sampling. And there's no seasonal restrictions down there. You can just keep working all year round. So it's a small, thin-traded company that uh, we've had a good run in all these juniors. And I, I would suggest people buy some on a correction, but they wouldn't chase it. Just sit there and know about the company, and there's going to be some good opportunities for the company over the next year. Bob, let me ask you, this This leads to a question that I've had in my mind, and, and if we get a major pullback here in the equity markets, which you're expecting, do you think the gold shares are going to get hit along with the general market, and would that then buy provide people that have some cash an opportunity to buy speculative and more and more uh, more advanced gold mining companies? Oh, yeah, that the, the gold shares will go trade up and down with the big swings in the, in the New York market. That's inevitable, but at recent highs on the Huey, for example, they're as high as they were back in 2007, and yet the stock market, the big market, is no longer there. So our thesis that in the post-bubble world, senior gold stocks will trade up and down with the big market, but will net out very comfortable gains over the years as the, uh, the big stock market, the S&P, for example, nets out severe losses over the same number of years. So ideally, one would want to be in the senior gold stocks. And then, as we pointed out almost a year ago, uh, that it was time to um, really get aggressive in the junior side, and that's been rewarding. But these will also correct as well. So um, and traders and investors should, uh, oh, I would be inclined to take some cash off the table in the next little while on the senior golds. Uh, there's now these GDXs uh, and the ATFs where you can play the short side and the G GDX Junior one. Okay. So then you can kind of where where you can't trade too much in the in a small cap stock, you can at least offset your position by by hedging it, by lightening up on some of the seniors, taking some cash off the table, and uh, maybe even shorting the GDXJ. So uh, we've Very never had this before in the uh, in the exploration side. I've been playing the game for decades, and you were in something, and then you usually had a six-week window of opportunity to get out, but there was no way you could really hedge yourself. So this, this well, some of these ETFs are very good that way. Uh, Roger, would you have a question for Bob before we... We've got a few more minutes here yet, Bob, if you can stay with us. Roger, would you have a question? Well, I saw Louise Yamada in Bloomberg this morning, and I admire her work as well as Bob Hoy's, and, and she mentioned that she thought the short bond, the two-year, would go down to 0.33, that the long bond would be the signal for things uh, being disturbed in the, in the credit markets. The other point she made, which I, I'm not sure about this one, I... She thinks that uh, the markets today are replicating 1939. I think they're more like they're replicating 37. And 37, we had a downdraft of 45% and shocked a lot of people because they thought things were repaired. And I'd be curious to see what how Bob thinks about those dates. And well, I'm, I, yeah, I haven't done anything looking at the counts on that much. I just sort of one thing I'm aware of is that. The bond market, the long treasury, has been party time. So is corporates, and they're close to excesses. And ultimately, there could be quite a bond revulsion. So as to put it in 37 or 39, 
No, I don't know. I, I've, it'd be a good idea to do that. We'll take a look at it that way. But we have uh, or, or at 137 on the long bond. At that one, we had an upside exhaustion move on the 10-year. It showed up more there from which we'd expect a correction down to the one level. Then it's rebounded and testing that earlier high. But if it doesn't make it there, then it begins to get interesting. And if the bond price rolls over, that's not looking at any other causes like stocks going down or stocks going up. Just look at the bond on its own. And uh, then we look at the corporate markets, and as, as, as the, the spreads have begun to widen a little. But so we're looking at two things here. The U.S. Treasury bond price, if it falters, it could be part of the faltering in the corporate markets, in which case you're going into the great bond revulsion, which will take place at some time. But at the moment, we can't pinpoint to say it's going to start next week. Okay, Bob, I want to thank you so much. The music tells me our time is up, but I want to thank you very much for the insights that you provided. I think the key from my perspective here is that the real price of gold is going up, and most likely it's just the beginning. We could have 10, 15, even 20 years possibly of of, uh, real price gold increases or at least strong gold prices in terms of its purchasing power, which should be hugely bullish for the junior gold mining companies, for the gold mining companies in general. But as Ian McAvity told us a few weeks ago, the companies that really do make the money, where the really big fortunes are made, are in the junior sector, not necessarily in the seniors. And I think Bob yep. Hoy would agree with that. So we're going to have another junior, a very exciting company, uh, is going to be telling their story to you. As soon as the break, I'm going to be with Chris Krupe. He's the CEO of Paramount Gold and Silver Corp., a company that has a project in northwestern Nevada that I am very familiar with as an ex-banker. So I'm looking forward to talking to Chris. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Chris Krupe, another exciting opportunity potentially in the gold mining sector. Don't go away. We'll be right back. community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt, and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. 
The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources, traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Berry Mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake Mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.com. CA for further information. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love around. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the, uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm very pleased to have with me Christopher Krupe. He's the CEO of, um, uh, he, he is the CEO of Paramount Gold and Silver. Uh, Christopher is a chartered accountant by, uh, that's his background, but he is uh, also now uh, progressing uh, in his uh, education uh, real time in the mining industry. And I know he gets very, very high marks from some people that I have very, a very high regard for and who have been very successful in the industry. So I'm really pleased to have, with, have you with me again, Christopher. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, Jay, it's great to be back again, especially on this uh, historic day where gold hit that all-time high. You know, the funny thing about that is that gold seems to be having a historical time almost every day these days. And, uh, you know, in listening to Bob Hoy, I'm not sure that we're going to see the real price of gold necessarily climb every day for as far as the eye can see. But 
I think that is the nominal price, but the real price of gold is looking extremely well, as Bob pointed out, and that is extremely good for the industry. That is, uh, as I pointed out in the last segment, increasing the profits of the senior producers, and we're seeing some you know, pretty high prices paid by Gold Corp for gold in the ground and so forth. Now, you are in the process of proving up gold and silver in the ground, and I think in Mexico you have something like 5 million um, ounces of gold equivalent already proven up. Could you talk, uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, what's going on in Mexico, and then I want to get to the real story, the real news story, I should say, and that is your, uh, your venture into northwestern Nevada. But, but what's going on in Mexico, if you could update us there? Well, Jay, we've had a, a drill program that uh, we've been working very hard at. We've had two rigs uh, turning for quite some time, and we're just getting assays back. We should have some assays out uh, to the marketplace. We've got, we've got two areas that we're, we're looking at. One is a, a bulk tonnage target, a lower-grade gold target. We call that the San Francisco area. That's getting much larger, and that was something we started attacking late last year with the investment uh, funds uh, that uh, Albert Friedberg's group uh, provided. Mm-hmm. And we've got some new areas that we've started drilling, which are looking very exciting. And you know, with over 400,000 acres, um, we've got a project that's going to go on for a long, long time. So I think that if people keep their eyes on it, they're going to see some nice, uh, hopefully some nice numbers come out in the next, uh, next little while, not too long. Okay. You've, uh, in my mind, you are sort of a project or prospect generator. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. We'd like to take something that's... Um, uh, earlier mid-stage and turn it into a later stage uh, project and then and our goal is ultimately to turn it over uh, in whatever form that might be to a producer and uh, and keep doing what we do best which is exploration and we don't really want to cross that line uh, so to speak okay well uh, you mentioned you have this large prospective area in mexico and probably a lot of lot of different gold and silver targets down there right oh absolutely i mean we've got we've got many uh, targets We've identified at least six targets right now. We've got more in the, in the works. And, and it's a matter of time uh, before this thing gets really big. And uh, we've got some internal targets, and we've told the world what we want to do with this thing when it gets pretty big. And, and I don't think that's that far off. Um, you, I should mention to our listeners that, in fact, uh, your symbol is TZG. You trade on the American Exchange. Uh, and I've got 110 million shares. Does that sound right? Actually, with the, with the Excal acquisition that we issued, 22 million, it's up around 132 million right now. Okay, and we'll get into this Excal uh, issue in just a second. But uh, you're trading it earlier today at a dollar 84. Thereabouts. So it's about a 250 million market cap. Okay. All right. So, but you have lots of things going on. Uh, anything more you'd like to say about Mexico at this stage before we shift gears and get into the uh, into the northern into the sleeper mines acquisition story? Well, I, I think what you, what everybody should know is that Mexico is a desirable state to be in, um, and it, there are a lot of people looking for properties there. It is close to the United States. It has a developed infrastructure and. I think it, it will be, and it has been, a very good place to develop properties and to, to, to uh, sell them to the next uh, uh, person in the chain, which I call the producers. Okay, so, so you definitely are sticking to the prospect generator model to a great extent that is using your intellectual capital and early exploration to add value and then bring other people into the story, to, uh, into the project to spend their high-risk capital putting holes in the ground and so forth. Do you have, you have joint venture partners now down in Mexico? No, absolutely. No, we, we own the property 100% outright, um, and we've spent a lot of time putting this package together. What we'd like to do is leave it 
uh, in a state where we're leaving quite a bit uh, left uh, untouched. And I, and I think that will happen given the size and scope of this thing, and it will help to add some, uh, some real um, value to it in, as we move along the curve, the development. Okay, let's talk about the acquisition of the sleeper uh, mine, X-Mine. It's not, in, not mining now. It's not in production now. Uh, this is a story that I sort of followed when a company called XCal had it a number of years ago. I actually uh, covered that story for a while uh, in my newsletter some time ago. Um, tell our listeners uh, about, first of all, about the acquisition. How are you acquiring the sleeper uh, mining project? Uh, number one, and then number two, if you can tell us something about the prospects for that prospect for that project. Well, absolutely. We uh, at the end of August we closed on the purchase of Excal Resources, which which owned the the sleeper mine. The sleeper mine has been sitting uh, for for quite some time. I would say about uh, 14 years, um, and uh, it was a very exciting gold mine, as you said, in its day. Um, so we we've now integrated that. Uh, entity that project into our company it was very simple I mean we've effectively uh, have it lined up side by side with our Mexican company as a, as a sister project and uh, now we're starting off some, some very interesting um, we have some very interesting plans for the project we've got an exploration program that we're starting this fall that we put a news release out a few weeks ago we've got a three million dollar budget to to drill those areas that were never tested when the mine was in operation, and those are adjacent, immediately adjacent to the old pit. And we've also got a metallurgical program which is starting to test, and this is the most, one of the most exciting parts, I think, to test the 700,000 ounces that is, that is estimated to be above ground, sitting in heap piles and in tailings ponds. And, and that's a, a, a gold at $1,300, 700,000 ounces that's already above the ground. It, it has some real value to us. What, uh, so is this conceivably, is this something that would need to be put through a mill, or, or I guess you don't know yet until you get your metallurgical test, but, or is it still could be leached? Well, I mean, the, the ultimate, uh, the, the best answer would be it could be leached, but we don't know that. We've, yeah. You know, we've, we've started testing with some very reputable labs in Reno, and there are many people around that area that know how to do this. We've engaged a metallurgist full-time, one of the key guys who helped get Cortez back and going, up and running. Um, and so, you know, as these results come out, and that will take some time, we'll, have, we'll be able to develop a whole engineering strategy around how to develop a, a system to reprocess this ore. Um, I recall as a lending officer with Westpac Banking Corp, I was involved uh, as a junior lending officer at that time. We were involved with the 250,000-ounce uh, gold loan, which one of the first gold loans in modern times in North America. To um, It was headed up by Citicorp, and I was with Westpac, to uh, Amex, um, Amex Mining Company. And that was a spectacular deposit. The grades uh, through the center of that deposit were, you know, ridiculously high, like, you know, uh, maybe 100 ounces of gold per, per ton in certain intersects. Do you see the prospects of a high-grade, uh, some high, really high-grade sections there that you're looking at? Well, absolutely, and, and, and we've, we've got all the data that was ever generated on this property, 4,000 drill holes and 380,000 blast holes, We've all got that model. We've got it in the database. We've got numerous targets, and it will take us quite some time to go through them all. Um, and, and there's no reason why there, there can't, we can't reestablish that type of uh, operation, that type of grade, I would say. Um, and I'll tell you, they, they stopped perhaps short of mining out the depth of that pit as well. Recall that gold was at $300 an ounce 
Yes. When this thing shut down. So right. we're way past that now. Right, right. Well, it's an exciting prospect, no doubt about it. And it certainly looks like something that you've, you've really uh, given uh, shareholders some, you know, some potential blue sky that could be enormous here. Uh, I have a couple of questions here from Michael Murphy. He is also a newsletter writer. Uh, he's asking your chief, office, your chief operating officer, uh, did he resign recently? Well, actually, uh, Larry Segerstrom, who had been been with us for been with me uh, since, since the beginning, has moved on. Uh, Larry uh, has a certain particular skill set, um, and he's very good at taking, uh, let's call them small companies, and making them into medium-sized companies. And uh, we thank him for all the work he's done. And we're now looking for someone to help us move from move into this mid-stage, and even into a sort of. Um, uh, you know, looking for a person who can help exploit that above-ground resource. Sure. Uh, another question from Michael. He wants to know, he says you are doing or beginning a European roadshow. Are you, are you going to need to raise some capital? Or are you going to issue some, some shares? Well, actually, no. We've got $22 million in the bank, um, and we're, we're, we've got no debt. Um, I just want to get out to, uh, to the market now and talk to them about XCAL. We have a significant number of shareholders in Europe that we have... Um, Due to the XCAL acquisition, we have over 12,000 shareholders now, um, and they're spread amongst the world. So I'm, I want to go out and see as many as I can, and and keep them, keep them in, and keep them interested in in the deal. And I think I'll I'll be able to accomplish that over the next month. Well, I think you certainly will. You've got an awful lot of interesting things going, and I must say that this uh, acquisition of the sleeper definitely has me uh, awake again. I want to watch your company very carefully. You are a recommendation in my newsletter, and I hope I can talk to you maybe on a personal basis sometime soon so we can update our, our subscribers. Uh, thank you very much, Chris, for being with us, and I look forward to talking to you again in the not-too-distant future. Thanks for having me, Jay. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be right back with my partner, Roger Wiegand, for some closing thoughts on this week's market. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by. Revolution Resources Corp. is a publicly trading exploration company that trades under the symbol RV on the TSX exchange. Led by an experienced management team with a track record for discoveries, Revolution has initiated drilling on the company's newly acquired Champion Hills Gold Project in North Carolina. Revolution is focused on making a world-class discovery in an established gold belt, and with over $5 million in the treasury, Revolution is effectively positioned to do so. Please visit www.revolutionresourcescorp.com for further information. 
As regular listeners to this show know, I am very bullish on gold and especially gold mining stocks. One of my favorite gold mining companies is Metanor Resources Traded Toronto and the Pink Sheets. This is a new gold producer. It is using cash flows from its Barry Mine in Quebec to finance growth of that mine and to put the world-famous Quebec Bachelor Lake Mine back into production. This stock has been recommended by my newsletter because I do believe it holds extraordinary upside price potential with relatively low levels of risk. Visit Metanor's website at metanor.ca or subscribe to my newsletter for more information. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me my partner, Roger Wiegand, who sat through as a co-host with me and Bob Hoy. Uh, Roger, we've had quite a run today in almost every market. All the things that Bob is saying are reaching sort of a um, an exhaustion level. I think Bob Hoy believes that we're just about at the end of this uh, of this um, let's say risk trade where we've seen you know everything rising. But maybe you'd comment on today's market action because it is very very firm uh, on the risk trade side. We're seeing rising prices in almost everything. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, gold. What gold do today? Well, gold uh, opened at um, uh, thirteen sixteen, and the high went all the way up to thirteen forty two ninety. The trading range was about thirty dollars, and in after hours trading, it came back a little bit, but it's still stuck at about thirteen forty one and a half. And we've been forecasting between thirteen twenty five and thirteen seventy five. And we're expecting that if this continues just a little bit more, we could peak out at 1375 before the selling. Uh, I do agree with Bob Hoy that a lot of these things look peaky and toppy right now. And I expected that the pause uh, earlier this week would have stopped the climb of gold. But when the dollar went down this morning, it's now at about 78 even. Uh, the metals just burst out. Mm. Uh, they just took off. Uh, silver now is $22.85. We think that's a big key number because there was very hard previous resistance at 21.50 and $22. Some said that if we got three closes past 21.50, we were home free. I wasn't quite sure, but now that we're way past $22, almost to 23, the high was 22.92 for silver. 
I, I think that we're headed for 25 next. However, the big however is somewhere along the line, somebody's got to take some profits here, and I think that we're probably closer to that peak uh, than, than farther out from it. Well, I think Bob Hoy, judging by his remarks earlier today, would be in agreement with that. Well, I, I, I agree with Bob, and I, I just think that uh, everything, uh, you know, it can't just continue to climb forever. Uh, gold did a beautiful 45-degree angular up, uh, trending, trending uh, line up, which is what we really prefer to see because it's steady. When things go vertical, things bad things happen. I mean, you get big gaps and, and it comes apart. Yeah. Silver did not quite go vertical, but pretty close to it. Uh, it was chasing gold from a lower position, and it came out of 18 or 19 not that long ago. And to go all the way to 2285 today, I think that was a magnificent move. No, oh, it cer- certainly was a, a quite a move. Again, um, reckoning back to what Hoy said, he believes we're we may be nearing the uh, the end of this gold uh, silver to gold uh, ratio, where silver silver runs with the as as Bob has pointed out, runs along with the risk trade. The silver to gold ratio always improves in favor of silver when you have the expansion of the credit system. But when you have a contraction of the credit system, the opposite happens, and gold's real value goes up. Very interesting phenomenon that we have seen play out after the Lehman Brothers uh, crisis as well. Copper also had a good day today. And, Roger, I think you said that copper has broken out. Uh, above maybe 366 was a big level. It's broken through that. So if you're a pure chartist, you say, copper's broken out. i got to go long. And yet, you know, you have a very learned guy like Bob Hoy that's saying, not so fast. I guess that's what makes a market. But what is your sense? Do you think copper well, is ready to, to move up to higher out. levels? I mean, copper went up and bonds did go down. Copper made a move today that uh, was seven full points. Usually on a day when it moves two or three, it's a big deal. But to go seven full points on this breakout rally, I think, was phenomenal. But uh, it could get to an exhaustion point here pretty quick, and then we would back up probably uh, to that former price of 366 or a little lower. Okay, and you were talking with Bob a lot about the uh, about the long bond. Uh, what is your sense of the long bond now? And in talking to Bob, and maybe you could just, if we can recall a little bit, what Bob Hoy had to say about the long well, bond. Well, based upon our conversation. Uh, uh, our primary concern was that the big banks are loaded up with long bonds using their TARP money, and that somewhere along the road, uh, when quantitative easing, um, actually printing of bonds by Bernanke got too crazy, uh, that the, the buyers of bonds would turn their backs and leave. Mm-hmm. We did see that in China about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when they sold 11% of their bonds, exceeding over $100 billion. Now, they've been very strong in trying to support Europe and specifically Greece because they have a lot of money in the euro now as an alternative currency to the U.S. dollar. China's got so much cash uh, in U.S. bonds and U.S. currency, I think they're trying to spread their risk and go to other currencies like the yen and also the euro. So they've got a lot of money invested in the euro and and a lot of interest in it, obviously, uh, being able to stay propped up. Yeah. Uh, in the long pull, I think that the euro's got to come back. Uh, the euro today on the futures, 138.31. Uh, I believe that the long bond, to answer your question, our next major support is going to be 130, which would be down a little over three points from where it is today. All right. So there's the, the traders are happy today. 
Well, we certainly, uh, if we had Chen Lin with us, and we would we would ask uh, his idea about what China is doing. I know, I think Chen was pretty much in agreement with what you said. Uh, though Chen thinks that the Chinese really manipulate the markets; they go back and forth, play one off against the other for their own uh, for their own um, interests. But in any event, we are just about out of time. It's time to wrap up. I want to tell our listeners, uh, remind them that they can take advantage of Roger Wiegand's work, uh, a trial. A uh, subscription of one-month trial at an introductory rate of $49, a special uh, rate. Chen Lin, uh, you can try his service for one month for $39. And you can get a three-month trial to my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, for $59. I should mention next week we have not decided yet who our special guest is. Some possibilities are John Hathaway of the Tocqueville Fund or Eric Sprott of Sprott Asset Management. Uh, two possibilities. There's many other pos- uh, possible people. If you're not on our mailing list, you can get on our mailing list by going to questionsfortaylor.com. Just send us your email address, questionsfortaylor.com, and we will let you know who our next guest will be for the next week's show. That's really all the time we have. I want to thank, though, before uh, our, the people that have made this show re- uh, possible, my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Columbia, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my engineer. All of you, thank you very much for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to our sponsors for making it financially possible, and thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real.